Welcome to Pragmatic. Pragmatic is a weekly discussion show contemplating the practical application of technology. Exploring the real-world trade-offs, we look at how great ideas are transformed into products and services that can change our lives. Nothing is as simple as it seems. This episode is sponsored by Extra Sensory Devices and their amazing Luxie for All, an incident light meter attachment for your smartphone or tablet. Visit esdevices.com pragmatic for more information about their handy Luxie for All that no modern photographer should be without, and to take advantage of a special discount exclusively for Pragmatic listeners. This episode is also sponsored by Hover. Hover is a domain registrar that stands apart from the rest. It is simple, easy to use and understand with a valet service for your domain transfer, making it simply the best way to buy and manage your domain names. Check out Hover at hover.com pragmatic and find out just how easy it is to grab your own domain or transfer your existing domain to Hover using the coupon code absolutely to get 10% off your first purchase. Let Hover valet your domain stress away today. We'll talk about them more during the show. I'm your host, John Gigi, and I'm joined today by my guest host, Eric Hess. How are you doing, Eric? I'm doing great, John. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you for coming on. Um, I uh, was was hoping to get on um, technical difficulties at some point, but you guys, um, I think Dr. Drain killed that show. Is that what happened? <laughs> uh, no, uh, no. But if, <laughs> if anyone were going to get credit for it, we'd want to give it to Dr. Drain. Well, and that's totally really fair. Useful. Sorry, I'm putting. I know I'm putting you on the spot there, and I'm being a bit mean, so I apologize. Nah, still. <laughs> not, at all. not at all. We love Dr. Drang, and uh, that's why we'd love to give him credit for it. There you go. Fantastic. Cool. Well, before we do, um, before we do get stuck in, though, there's a couple of little things to quickly talk about before we get stuck into the topic. Um, so, uh, first of all, just a reminder about the uh, the stickers. I know some people are big fans of stickers, so um, they're going to remain up there for a while longer. What's interesting I've noticed is that I've sold a heap of the tiny little stickers and only two of the bigger stickers. So if not too many more of those sell, probably in the next few weeks, I'll probably take the bigger ones down. Um, it's, I've only have X number of slots of, uh, for stickers and I was going to put some different ones up that are not related to uh, to Pragmatic. So yeah, I'm just um, putting the ones up and leaving the ones up that are going to be popular. So anyway... Uh, now, before the show ends, uh, as I announced last week um, that the show will be ending um, uh, at episode 63, which is the end of March, I have one final, 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 I promise final, um, vote that listeners can participate in if they want to. Now, you can go to techdistortion.com slash pragmatic, so not slash podcast slash pragmatic, just slash pragmatic. There'll be a link there in the show notes um, if you're not sure, and you can vote on your favorite episodes of the podcast. It's completely anonymous if you want it to be, and I'll be tallying the results for the final episode. So I'm going to do a bunch of stats, and we're going to look at, you know, basically I'm curious what listeners' favorite episode was, high points, low points, those sorts of things. So um, this is vital for that last last episode. So if you'd like to participate, you can, as I say, it's anonymous if you want it to be. However, as an incentive, if for those that are interested and that those that like stickers, since I was talking about stickers, I'm going to pick out three random entries with valid email addresses and I'll announce them during the final episode uh, and those people will get a free sticker sent out to them so I know I'm all going out on prizes there but there you go so <laughs> if you want to there's a chance to get a free sticker all you got to do is uh, is vote and uh, this time I've made sure that you can you can choose uh, you don't have to vote on an episode if you haven't listened to it so they all default to uh, x no opinion you can just you know click whatever you'll see go and go and check it out anyway 
Right, that's it. No more blurb. You know, I had feedback about people that hated the blurb before really? the episode. Yeah, yeah, I did. That was that was one thing that <laughs> we were, I think we were ridiculously lucky with on yeah. TD was mm. I can't recall any negative bit of feedback we ever got. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's what made it's what made ending the show kind of hard. I yeah. mean, one of the things uh, was it was just it was just great hearing from people. So and everybody was unabashedly positive, which is counter to like everybody's experience on the Internet. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one of the things I found doing uh, doing pragmatic is that I've had probably 98 um, percent positive feedback. Uh, the, the thing is, I occasionally you'll get some negative feedback um, and sometimes you don't know whether or not it's 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 meant to be constructive or it's meant to be spiteful but because you know one time i had uh, some feedback that said um john doesn't do any research and i'm not sure if that was meant to be an inside joke regarding atp or not but right. still it was directed at me so i had to assume like okay i don't okay the 30 hours i did last week didn't count right anyway so um but yeah generally i've had some pretty it's been overwhelmingly positive so yeah, yeah it's, it's it's hard it's hard sometimes to to kind of read the read between the lines whenever you get some you know some bit of feedback. I, I I think I think everybody who takes the time to send feedback to something like this, given the small listenership that we have relative to you know the whole world, mm-hmm. we're not Taylor Swift, that's for sure. So uh, no, it, it it seems like everyone's trying at least because in 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 at least the the podcasting environment we're in, if you don't, I mean if you don't if you don't like the show, why are you listening? Yeah, yeah, the stop button's right there. So that's why I always felt we were really lucky because we have that kind of self-selected audience. And um, well, so you guys want to do well for them. Yeah, you guys, you guys went for. I mean, going back to to generational at the beginning, right? This is going way back to seventy decibels, I think, if memory serves. And yeah, and um, that was three and a half years ago, four years ago, longer. It, it may have been it may have been at least three years ago. The hmm. seventy decibel site is down now, but we still have all those shows on our um, on our end as well. But um, uh, yeah, it just started out with um, it started out with just Gabe, and uh, he was nice enough to have me on, uh, or silly enough, foolish enough to have me on. Um, he started that in uh, in twenty twelve, and then I did I didn't come on as a guest until uh, March of twenty thirteen. Oh, okay, fair enough. I guess the point I was getting at is that. That's a lot of um, momentum, like listener momentum. So people will listen. Uh, you'll pick up listeners along the way. Some will drop off. Some will become fans, and you know it tends to sort of build up with time. The one thing that I've 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 sort of this, one of the things I take taken away from this is that um, you know the people that have got really really successful podcasts, um, like in terms of massive download numbers, and that's not necessarily a measure of success. Let's be clear about that. But still, um, they are people that have already done something previously. And yes, yeah, it's like it builds on whether it's in the public arena, whether or not it's on YouTube, whether or not it's on their blog, uh, whether I released an app, there's always something else. It's very unusual to find someone who's actually come from a background of, of none of that public momentum to come into a podcast and has then actually got lots and lots of downloads and high popularity and highly listened to. So. Anyway. Yeah, and that's where that's where you know I I personally got really lucky because Gabe, in addition to being probably, um, I, I mean, without a doubt, one of the best podcasters I've ever known, both in interviewing and just being able to run it in general. Gabe's a, a fantastic blogger. I don't know where he has the time to mm. keep his site as rich as he does, but boy, it, it it's it's that's that's a hard that's a high bar to reach, 
And yeah. so that made it that made it easy for us because he had already built that audience. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was I was a bit disappointed because so I can't, I was late to the game, right? I uh, I had listened to one or two episodes of Generational back in the day, and then I sort of had a break, and I came back to it midway through the TD era, I guess you'd call it. Um, and then only just recently did I start listening to Dawn Patrol, and and it's one of those things that I was head butting my wall recently because it's like I I I didn't click. It was so ridiculous of me because I'd see it in my feed, and I'm like. Yeah, I should probably look at that. I should probably look at that. It's the same guys as T. Oh, yeah. And I finally got around to listening to it. I'm like, this is awesome. Oh, they just canceled it. Okay. Uh, I'm glad you liked it. Thanks. <laughs> it was, well, what, what we were running into is that, I mean, TD was such an expensive show to produce. And yes. it was not like in money. It was expensive in time and energy. And yep. so what we'd hope to do with DP was to kind of alternate them. Mm-hmm. where we would do kind of a high-low mix where maybe just one t- one TD show a month, one TD show every two weeks, and then, you know, be able to do DP weekly. And that worked, but we found that it just wasn't, it wasn't as compelling for us to produce. And we felt like we felt like we were, we wanted to go out before we, our quality really started dropping. Yeah. It's funny how many of the, the things that, how many things you're saying that that dovetail with one, with um, one of the reasons that I'm ending pragmatic is it's it's very similar you know for me is that there's a lot of effort that goes into making the show and I mean I don't mind having a show that's just just conversational I guess but at the same time I don't I, I don't get the same kick out of it because to me it's just a bit gets a bit samey and um, it, it I think it's okay to have a show where you're just listening for the personalities. And it's, you know, which I guess for me was, you know, that, that was Dorm Trot, whereas TD was more, um, you know, educational entertainment, if you'd like, <laughs> um, right, right. you know. Uh, and the difference is, is, is pretty stark. It's like, you know, one sort of like a background um, filler sort of, sort of, you know, podcast. That's not meant in a detrimental way. It's just mean Not you know, at like, all. I know yeah. exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah. It, this is something that you can, you can be working. You mm. know, you can actually be doing stuff and listening to people chat and hey, yes. that's kind of interesting. Whereas yeah. when I'm listening to when, like when I listen to Pragmatic, mm. it is it is I want to listen to it. Mm. I, I want to hear everything because I don't want to miss anything. Yeah, you got to concentrate. And I guess, yeah, two very polar opposite kind of shows. But um, I, I, I like both. Of them. I'm, I'm, it's a shame they're gone, but I completely sympathize with why. <laughs> so that's OK. Well, thanks. I, and <laughs> our goal, you know, this is something I think that's hard about the medium and I don't want to get too meta, but that. Um, yeah that there is an expectation that very much like a radio show, like Howard Stern or something, you're going to be there all the time forever, yeah. every week, you know, and it's not more like a TV show where, well, maybe we do a season, maybe we take a break, maybe we recharge our batteries and come back. I would love to come back to both of those shows. Um, it's just not, not something we can do right now. Yeah, fair enough. Well, this is actually a good lead into the topic, and this is why we're going on about it. Um, listeners, if you're wondering what on earth the topic is, um, but uh, Eric and I wanted to go and talk about um, motivation and the balance between enjoyment and uh, commitment. So, uh, and podcasts and the podcasts that we've both made, um, Eric's case is uh, just only just recently, um, Technical Difficulties and uh, Dawn Patrol are both wrapped up and uh, there'll be links in the show notes to those. Uh, they're two very awesome podcasts. You should check them out. Even though they have ended, there's still a back catalog of really good stuff. Uh, in my case, uh, Pragmatic's ending shortly. So, yeah, I thought it was a good time to talk about motivation as to what, why we got into not just podcasting, but you know, what, why we do what we do, why we work, why we make things. And uh, so it's a good point to start about that. So I sort of t- started talking about this a little bit in episode 41, 
um, talking about uh, recognition. Uh, that was an uh, episode I think was called Meaningless Token Award. And um, I guess the thing with... Uh, okay, so the divide I want to draw is and, and discuss and flesh out a bit is, is hobbies versus jobs and motivations for each. And it's kind of one of those fluffy subjects. I don't have a lot of notes. So, <laughs> because it's hard to do notes on a topic like this. So, um, I guess motivation and driving force behind what you do makes a massive difference but it only makes a massive difference i think during the the darker periods when when enthusiasm is waning and you're ready to quit and i guess i guess that's uh, that's the place to start yeah and and that's i do think that this is a topic that it's easy to over systematize not necessarily overthink but like it's it's tempting to put a template on this mm. and not just not just apply it to more than one person, but even apply it to yourself at different times in your lives. Absolutely, um, I I like that dis- distinction between hobby and job, because in many ways I feel like I've only ever had like one job, um in in my entire life. I worked in a uh, I worked at a Walgreens, a oh, okay. pharmacy, a drugstore. Yep. When I was in high school, and that was definitely a job, like in the sense that I don't want to be here, but I'm yeah. doing it because I need money. Yeah. And th- I was ridiculously lucky that pretty much everything I've done since then, I would have done as a hobby even if I didn't get paid for it. And the times I ended up leaving them, which is kind of sad, are the times when I, I felt like the hobby part is waning. Yeah. And I don't know what that means about my personal stick to but I feel like in a way I've been a little spoiled that way. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like it's been because I, I I wish I could say something similar, but most of the jobs that I've had I've I have not necessarily enjoyed so much I, I, until recently. And I say recently, last ten years, if that's recent, depending on your point of view, I guess. But uh, so I mean, I've had jobs uh, in retail, and that was definitely a job. Uh, I'm glad I did it, but geez, it was rough. Um, again, I've talked about that previously. Uh, I've also worked in, oddly enough, mechanical design, which was, you know, as an electrical engineer is a bit weird, but there you go. I learned lots about um, uh, split washers, uh, crinkle washers and beryllium and so on, but never mind that. Uh, you know, so, and that was quite a job because I'm, I did not enjoy that at all. Uh, so that was brief. And anyway, the only, the jobs that I've enjoyed more, most recently, uh, working for a bigger company were the the jobs in control system software and and in switchboard manufacturing that that's been my most enjoyable uh jobs that i've done because uh, i'm not a big fan of politics i kind of deal with politics in big offices but i i really can't stand it uh i it's just so easy to tear it to pieces and to look at it and shake your head and think this is completely pointless in every possible way <laughs> you know so uh i i do uh Definitely. i do yeah, I do wish I'd had more of a more of an experience like yours, but that's okay. Um, so uh, I guess the whole hobby thing, I want to talk a little bit about that. So by the definition of a hobby is an activity that's done regularly in one's leisure time for pleasure. And what I, that that in and of itself isn't all that interesting. But what's interesting is actually where it came from. So apparently, based on you know what I was looking reading up on this is uh, in late Middle English. It was a permutation of um, hobbin or hobby, and those are pet forms of the given name uh, Robin. Uh, again, you know, Middle English, what can you do? So, um, anyway, originally, it, it sort of came to denote a toy horse or a hobby horse, you know, like a, like a rocking horse sort of thing. Uh, hence, the concept of it's an activity done for pleasure. And 
every time now from now on that you think about, oh, this is my hobby, you can think of a hobby horse or a toy horse or a rocking horse. So there you go. That's that's what you're... <laughs> when I when I read that, I'm like, seriously? Oh, no, that's ruined the word hobby for me from now on. <laughs> so, conjuring up images. What's your hobby? I'm a podcaster and I'm podcasting rocking on a rocking horse. Anyway, so um, there you go. Right. Uh, hmm. So in terms of uh, hobbies and so on that I've had in my in my life, uh, the biggest ones I've had be other than podcasting has been uh, amateur radio. And uh, that took up a lot of my time, uh, my late teens and uh, and early to mid twenties. So other than other than podcasting, I know you said you've only ever had really one job at the Walgreens, but um, would you say that there are any other hobbies that you've been into outside of other than podcasting in that time? Yeah, and and so you know, based on now that you actually define hobby, I guess yeah. uh, I guess technically technically my real paid job has been less than. Less than uh, less than fun and less than less than a toy. Plenty of times hmm. um, for me, my hobbies, uh, my hobby was actually always playing on computers. I don't have a computer science degree. Mm-hmm. I, I did international politics in co- in college, and yet right then, I had um, I was messing with flight simulators. That was my big hobby. As soon as I got <laughs> as soon as I got a computer, my my parents were kind of smart. They they kept they kept a computer out of my hands while I was growing up because they knew they'd just lose me. Um, <laughs> I'd just be in my room all day. Yeah. Uh, and so, so yeah, I got to college. I got my first computer, an awesome 46SX33 from Dell. And, yeah. um, and that was my hobby. That was my big hobby. As soon as I got that, it was, um, it was playing games and it was hacking, like not hacking on games, like not creating or trying to break games, but trying to, trying to find the limits of those games was a lot of fun or extending them. So I was a big Microsoft Flight Simulator fan. Mm-hmm. Played a lot right. with that and added bunch of bunch of mods and scenery to that. That was a blast, um, and uh, and that became that really became my hobby. And I realized probably, well, I realized when I took my first computer science class sophomore year that wow, this is there are people who actually get degrees in this. There are people who get to do this all the time. Yeah, <laughs> can you believe that? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, I that. yeah. So uh, yeah. so yeah. I um okay, fair enough. Look, I um. When I did engineering, I had an option. A lot of people uh, that came out of uh, high school with me, we sort of, that with similar interests, we sort of diverged and a bunch of people went over to computer science slash IT and um, the, other, the other rest of us went over and, and almost the rest of us then did engineering. But the, it was interesting, the number of people that did a year of engineering and then said, you know what, we didn't really want to do this. We're going to go over and do IT and computer science. And they sort of, you know, so this had been a second year, there was a huge drop in numbers of people who just defected and went to the other side of the fence. But anyway, um, cool, very good. So I guess um, uh, right, 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 right. Yes, okay. So huh, doing something for fun. The problem I've got, I guess, with doing something for fun is that the moment it stops being fun, you stop doing it. Is that a bad thing? I don't know. Maybe that's not a bad thing. But I guess I it's wanted hard. to. Yeah, I, mean, the, I, I think a real hard part about that is is when it, it's not a it's not a problem. Let's say that you make model airplanes. Uh, sure. Let's say that you just you like making plastic model kits. I did that when I was a kid. There is nothing wrong with getting tired of that. If if that's what you do, you're sitting around playing and uh, and and building kits, and you get tired of that, just walking away yeah. and coming back. I think the challenge starts to become when your hobbies involve other people. Yes, thank you. Exactly, and that's where I was going. So, um, absolutely right. Because then, the, whatever hobby that you do, 
affects more than just yourself because it's so easy to pull up sticks and say, I'm done if it's only you, but if you're involving other people. And I thought about this, so beyond, so you know, we, we've made podcasts, lots of people have liked our podcasts and so we announced, yeah, we're going to stop. Uh, suddenly, our decision about our hobby has, you know, has, has consequences beyond ourselves. Whether or not that, that should play a big part or not is open for debate, I guess. But I, I thought about, well, what other hobbies are there? where that is the case. And a lot of it comes down to how actively involved you are. Like in amateur radio, for example, uh, you know, if you're involved with um, maintaining some of the repeater systems or organizing uh, the, the club meetings or, or ham fests or whatever you're doing, uh, you know, obviously if you decide, well, I'm done with that, then that's going to have an impact. If you're volunteering in different locations, let's say you're part of an archery club or a, a swimming club or whatever else, and you're doing part-time coaching or timekeeping or whatever you might be doing, scoring, uh, you know, and so on. So you pull back from that, you affect other people by, more by your absence than anything you're actually doing, which is kind of an interesting twist on it. But um, I guess the question is, that, and this is, and this is um, the symbiotic part of it, is that I think very few people start out a hobby with affecting anyone else immediately. It's something that sort of grows the, the more you get into a hobby. And then the question is, does that change from becoming a consequence of what you're doing and become part of a motivator to continue doing it? Yeah, I think that's, I think you've hit on something key there. Um, I, I, I started playing guitar seriously, uh, and by seriously, not incredibly seriously, but more seriously <laughs> than just messing around with it. While I was, uh, um, uh, while I was in pilot training, it was a way to kind of calm down a little bit, mm -hmm. and uh, then really got into it a little bit past that. And that was great. And I had some friends who played in a band. I did a lot of music in high school, and uh, but like choir stuff, nothing, nothing, nothing cool. So, uh, so it was great to go and like like watch a band play. And eventually, I, I practiced more and more. And when my, you know, my, my friend at the time uh, had had to go on deployment, I jumped in. They asked me to kind of jump in and sit in with them. And, and it was being in a band was the closest I've been to like podcasting, for example, uh, yeah. you know, in, in, in my life, I think in the sense that much like a group podcast or much like any sort of relationship, you got to deal with other people, what their desires are. And it always seems too like everybody's trying to balance the workload too, because there's always any hobby you have, there are non-fun parts of it. Oh yeah. Um, practice, make scheduling. I mean, boy, I'm I'm sure you've never experienced the non-fun po part of podcasting, right, John? <laughs> well, uh, since you brought it up, yeah. Uh, <coughs> since you brought it up, yeah. Uh, bottom line, yeah. <laughs> Editing. The thing is. If I'm if I'm editing it, if there's a two-hour episode of the show, which you know there aren't too many of them, but you know occasionally they happen. What can I do? It's a momentum problem. But anyway, uh, yeah. So um, a two-hour show, it's going to take at least two hours, more like double that, and add a bit in order to do the full edit on that. And it's just because you have to. You listen back as you're going through it. You listen back. I listen back to the transitions between segments, between the intro and the outro, multiple times to make sure that I haven't messed anything up. Uh, and then once it's been bounced, once once you in logic, you know you, you bounce the, the they call it bouncing, whatever. Anyway, you um you output the final edit, and then once you do that, you edit the metadata and, and so on and so forth. And then I have one last listen to the usually the beginning, the end, and you know the transitions, because I haven't got time to listen to it for another two hours. And uh, anyway, so it takes like uh, two hour shows usually about five hours worth of, of editing time, and that's you know. 
some, some people have said, oh, that's not fun. And I'm like, well, yeah, I guess it's not. But at the same time, it's sort of a consequence and you put up with it because, well, yeah, it's yeah. It's good, kind it's of a- challenging, and it, it, it is actually worth doing, and it's, oh, sure. it's very necessary, hmm. but, and, and it's, it's part of the hobby, and what, yeah. what's, what's good is, and I, I, I'm sure, I'm sure the, like, like some bands have been around and with no personnel changes for, like, their entire time, like U2 is a good example of that, those guys yes. are always around, Oh yeah. Um, just like some, some podcasts stay around for a very long time, I think one of the really great things is if you're in a hobby with the group and you can find some people whose interests are balanced enough that that what they think what everyone thinks is cool the other people would be happy to hand over to them and you can find some sort of balance of effort um because that's been something that you know if if having been in a band where there was a very unbalanced level of effort when that guy was ready to set down the 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 less fun parts for the other guys booking um you know setting up practice venues stuff like that uh, that was we were done yeah when that guy was done he set it down and we were we were like i i don't even know how to do that stuff i don't have your your contacts so so i think in group hobbies you can get in a situation pretty easily where where you can over rely on a member if you don't have a good balance yeah it's that's interesting because the other part of this is that it's um like you say it's like a group hobby and so this is a hobby that I do. This is something that I want to do. I'm motivated to do this, but now I'm with a group of other people who are directly, uh, whom whom the continuation of this activity is now dependent upon. And if you've got the majority of people in that group are moving in the same direction, have the same uh, end goal, and are enjoying it, then it tends to, you know, reinforce and provide more motivation to continue. Whereas, like you said, if there's just that one, the one person sort of like, you know, holding parts of it together and they suddenly flip a switch and they say like, well, I'm done. And then it falls apart so quickly that it's in near, in near instantaneous. I've seen it happen before um, uh, in, in the sports team. You know, for example, we, I played for a cricket team there for a while, had a similar end result. So... Because, you know, once you took the guy that was doing all the organizing away and he said, look, okay, we're done. Um, everyone, he said, someone else can take over. I think we played two games and that was the end of it. So, mm. yeah. Well, now I'd be interested in your take. Um, mm. what about those hobbies that lie on the line? So, so something that maybe starts as a hobby and then you start to make some, some, some income from it. Yeah. You get people expecting you to come. Mm. You get people who are, who are looking forward to your next show or your next episode your next performance, you're getting paid maybe a little bit, not enough to go full-time, but a little bit. And so actually there are financial expectations of that. Does that, I mean, have you experienced that? And has that affected like your enjoyment of hobbies at all? Um, I definitely have, uh, have experienced that with this show and uh, it does, it, cha- it does change things considerably. Once you start once you start accepting um, money either from from fans of the show through something like Patreon, or uh, from sponsors who uh, you know have have a product that they want to you know get out there, either way uh, you're now committed because it's like if you give me your and the, the the funny thing is it's it's kind of okay there's two parts of it the the first part of it is the sponsor part of it is. I feel there is an obligation, a contract now between me and the sponsors. So, you know, they're going to give me, you know, however much money and I'm going to talk about their product. And 
you know, f- first of all, I'm I'm now I now feel responsible depending upon how well that goes. I mean, if listeners are interested, if they support the show, if they if they're interested in the product and so on, because then of course you get sponsors come back and so they'll say, oh, the, the campaign did really well, or no, it didn't do very well at all, and then you know that affects directly, you know, whether or not I want to keep going right there. If it goes badly, I'm like, well. Because I've had some sponsors that have done really, really well, um, you know, and I've done had other sponsors that have not, and I feel absolutely, you know, gutted when you know a sponsor comes back and says, "Oh, look, we haven't done very well," and because I, I feel responsible, I'm like, "Okay, well, I what I just I didn't sell it well enough. I didn't. What what did I do wrong?" I mean, that they say there's a thing as a bad fit. You know, and it's got to be the right fit for the show and and the right fit for the audience. And I mean, what what's the point in, in pimping refrigerators if no one wants a refrigerator, for example? Yeah, I mean, I and I don't know my demographic necessarily. I have a reasonable idea based on who gives me feedback, but it's only a it's only a small slice of all the overall listeners. So it's very hard for me to gauge. And I refuse to do a survey just on principle. So, and even if I did do a survey, I don't think that that would give me a meaningful you know idea of who's in the audience anyway. So. That actually has become somewhat of a of a demotivator, <laughs> which is odd. Um, I thought about moving away from sponsors and going towards a Patreon style, but the problem I've got with that is that you're still obligated because I'm now taking money from listeners to continue to do the show, to produce the show, to you know, to host it, to all of that takes. I'm 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 taking other people's money to provide, and I I, I have to give them something back. I can't not. So. It's and that's the and that's the that's the point where you'd think it becomes. It's funny. It's almost become a demotivator up to a point, and it's almost easier to not take on sponsorship, to not do Patreon, to simply put it out there because it's a hobby and just keep that line in the sand and never cross it. Because if you do, then it just changes the complexion of it, and it changes that, it to a point. That is yeah. so true. I, I and 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 you touched on something that really impacted us on both generational and TD. We were never really, uh, we never really crossed the sponsor barrier, and we never we we had thought about doing something like Patreon. Um, and 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 so we were faced with a lot of the same dilemmas, and we were lucky enough that we were lucky enough that we could continue to put out the show and support the stuff that we the money that we were putting into the show, um, just right out of our pockets. We yep. were definitely in a position where we considered, hey, if we can if we can turn this into, you know, if we can get some revenue out of this, it would make it easier for us to spend some more, you know, some more time on it. But there was a, that huge fear, just like you described. Is well, now it's kind of a job, whether yeah. it's a good job, whether it's like a good, a well paid job or not. And boy, never never take a look at the income versus time spent on on a hobby like that. And then break it out into out into, into into income per hour. Boy, that's that's not good. Yeah, it's um, scary. But I think too, and I, I think the crowdfunding thing is a really interesting, a really interesting part of this. Because for a if you get a sponsor, you can you can you can try and figure out metrics for the sponsor and see if it's worth it or not worth it to them. That's good, and that's business. I mean, that's so business to me at least. That doesn't seem like a hobby. But that's necessary if you're going to have a, a sponsor-funded and and supported show. But like, as soon as you get into crowdfunding, let's say I let's say I wanted to crowdfund Pragmatic, and I I, I like Pragmatic a lot, so I'm going to give you I don't know a hundred bucks, um, and I give you a hundred bucks, and um, and and some and you get maybe you let's just say you just get my hundred bucks, yeah, and and it it doesn't really it doesn't go far enough for you 
to do what you want to do. Um, cause that was maybe for like a year. Well, I, I, I mean, I contributed, I did, I, I did my part. And so for everybody else, it was like, well, yeah, I wasn't really that, I wasn't really interested enough, so I wasn't going to fund it, but they're not out anything. Whereas for your dedicated, the, your most dedicated listeners or your most dedicated followers, they've put their heart and soul and literally, you know, money into this mm-hmm. and, and where's their return. And so yeah. that's, that's, what's really hard because they deserve a return. It just doesn't always end up that way. Yeah. And it's also the other, the other thing, the other problem is that if you end up uh, in a position where you know all of the people that are supporting the show, and let's say that, you know, that it's more than just Eric, let's say that there's a dozen, just to pick a, I say a round number, 12 sure. is not actually a round Absolutely. number, but whatever. Let's say a dozen. So there's a dozen super fans that all put money on the line and they're going to fund it continually for the next, you know, time, time span indefinite. So you could continue to do it, you'd have enough money to do it. And there's a little bit of extra money on the side as a little bit of a, a motivation to continue doing it. It's like, oh, cool. Yeah. So I make an extra five bucks a month out of it. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'll just keep doing it. But like I said, just don't look at the hourly rate because if you do, then you'll, you know, your heart will break. But that's okay. Point is, suddenly you're now making a show for 12 people. And mm-hmm. they'll say to you, oh, you should really talk about um, wallpaper. And I'm like, but. I don't like wallpaper and I, I don't I don't have wallpaper in my house and hmm but but they're funding the show When's the wallpaper show John uh, <laughs> that's episode 64 so anyway good okay uh, just check it <laughs> the point is that you suddenly become it's it's no longer it's no longer pragmatic it's now um it's now a show for the fans that that specifically want. You feel like you need to give them what they want specifically because now you know who they are. You know that they are the ones that are contributing to the show, and it ceases to become pragmatic, becomes something else. And I think right. that's and there's nothing wrong with that if you're okay with it. Yeah, I mean, but the problem it, is then if you... you're not okay with it, it's no longer a hobby for you. Oh sure, but it's not just that. That then the show becomes something that's that's less applicable or less interesting to a whole bunch of other people. So, uh, and that, that and that, that 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 could be a problem or it may not be a problem. And it comes back to how you define um, success and if success is a reason, a, a motivation to continue doing you know your hobby. So, I mean, if you're doing a hobby just because you love doing it, it doesn't matter about the money if you've got other sources of income. Uh, but the money can be a motivator. But I think, honestly, the money can be a demotivator as well, whether it comes from Patreon, from right. crowdfunding, right. or whether or not it comes from a sponsor. I think that it's honestly, it's a very, it's a double-edged sword and it's a sharp one. You've got to be careful with it. And it's the sort of thing that I wanted to have sponsorship on Pragmatic um, from the early days on Fiat Lux, but it was the sort of thing that we were still building momentum. And... Uh, when I first got um, sponsors on the show back uh, after I left Fiat Lux, it was uh, it was a gradual thing, and I started out with one, and then I went to two, and then I've had a few of uh, sponsoring follow up as well. And all in all, it's been a pretty relatively positive experience. But at the same time, it has turned this into uh, more of a job, and I already have a job, uh, and on an hourly rate basis, there is no comparison. All right, podcasting pays terribly compared to my day job, and unless you're going to run a network. It, it, and it's and even then, I look at the my expenses and everything. There's no way, even if I ran a network, knowing what I know now, um, there's no way I could make that work. And I, there seems to be this this idea that it's possible. I think it is possible within a set of um, 
very strict constraints. Some people can pull it off, but it's not easy. Yeah, and I I think like like I think I think the gold standard for how this is going to work uh, or whether it can work is watching the transition that uh, David Sparks is making. If, sure. If Max Sparky, if Max Sparky can make this jump that he's you know that he's blogged about basically moving from you know kind of full time big law firm to his own private law firm and taking time to focus on Mac Power users, all his awesome books, um, I, I I think I think that's a great existence proof of somebody who can make that jump. There is definitely a wide base of experience from people out there, myself included, who have gone through this transition because my current job is software development and it was because I started as a hobby and joined a friend of mine who already had some clients. I experienced this transition, you know, big time where it's like, wow, this is this is really being obligated to do this stuff really has a, has has an impact on my motivation. So I, I think this opens up the possibility that if you have a job that you can, that's, that's just a job that you can stand, that leaves you a lot of time for your hobbies, maybe, maybe we should all be fighting, fighting that temptation to say, you know what? I want to do this. I want to do this yeah. all the time. That is, an, and there's a lot of people great. out there who are, yeah. I mean, uh, I think Merlin Mann has argued against uh, following your bliss many, many times. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that it's a, that you make an excellent point. And Honestly, it's a it's a it's a difficult it's difficult because you hear so many people say, uh, "Oh, yeah, the the best kind of a job is one that's um that's your, your hobby that you enjoy." And it's like, well, yes, but it's not. But turning something that is a hobby that you do just for fun and turning that into a job by adding pressure and, and obligation, well, that's really gonna. Yeah. It, it's gonna. You don't think it's going to, but it's going to sap your motivation. You think you think, oh, oh I'm gonna be doing what I enjoy. It's like, yeah, but guess what? <clears throat> it's not that simple. Oh, yeah. it, it it's not. And I I um so I wanted to fly airplanes my entire life growing up. I mean that was I was huge. hoping you talk about thing. this. I wanted to fly. <laughs> well, I was I, I was wanting to do it. I wanted to I wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to fly in the military. Air Force Navy didn't really matter. I thought the Navy was cool. Um was lucky enough to get in and the moment I stopped enjoying flying was the moment I started having to do it. And uh, yep. it's not that there were not moments of absolute beauty and bliss that I will never see again. But my dad, my dad was an instructor pilot and, uh, he always told me growing up, he's in the air force and you know, he was, I always asked him, I was like, it's gotta be so much fun doing that. And he said, well, it's not really fun. <laughs> he said, it's, it's rewarding. It's very rewarding. And it can be, it can be really, really, really just mind blowing sometimes. But he said, it's, there's too much to do to have fun. Cause if you have, if you're having fun, you're getting behind. And you know, when you're flying an airplane, things happen real fast. So if you're if you're sitting there saying, oh, wow, this is so much fun. Well, chances are you're about to miss something really important. And that could that could make it uh, make it make a fun situation into one that's a lot less fun. And I found that out. I I've, I've flying was ridiculously rewarding. Uh, it was ridiculously difficult. And it was definitely something that when I set it down, um, which I only finally did about a year, year and a half ago, uh, from the reserves, I got off active duty in 2010, but, um, mm -hmm. it was, it was, I was surprised at how relieved I felt. Mm. And I've had a few friends who, 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 who've told me similar things. Um, and there are a few people who could never think of setting it down, but a lot of those people I found were not, they did, they, they don't tend to be, they don't tend to be hobbyists. So it's funny because the guys who I, the guys who I know who are able to set it down better were guys who had hobbies and wanted to, or knew that they had a different outlet from just flying. 
and that was uh, that was really interesting. I so basically for my entire military career, I used to really like uh, you know historical fiction, uh, military history stuff like that, and and literally as soon as I started doing it, I couldn't read any of that stuff ever again. And it wasn't because it was wrong; it was because I like I couldn't fly a flight simulator. I couldn't do any of that, which was as I mentioned a, a big passion of mine beforehand. It wasn't because it <laughs> yeah. was wrong, which was what I expected. It was because it was too much like work. Yeah. Which was crazy. Cool. Wow. It was crazy. Okay. Well, hold that thought because I've got a few questions on that. Before we go um, any further down that, uh, down that path, um, I just want to talk about our first sponsor and that's Extrasensory Devices. Now, Extrasensory Devices, they're an innovative company based in Palo Alto, California. And they've recently released their all-new Luxy for All. And it's an incident light meter attachment for your smartphone or your tablet. If you're a photographer that likes to take the best possible shot, or even if you aspire to be a better photographer, then precise control of your exposure is critical. And to figure that out, you need a reliable, accurate light meter. Standalone light meters can cost upwards of $100, take up a lot of space in your camera bag, they need their own batteries, and they can be a pain to use. The Luxie for All aims to solve all of these problems by utilizing the front-facing camera on your smartphone or tablet and provides accurate readings using its freely available Luxie app from the App Store or the Google Play Store. Luxie for All is easy and quick to calibrate your first use, then you can set and forget. With spot metering and incident light modes, the Luxie app will suggest ideal settings for you for f-stop, time, and ISO settings for your SLR, or you can lock and unlock any one of those, and it'll figure out the optimal values for the other settings. The Luxie for All is a passive device, so there's no batteries to worry about, and it's small. It measures just one and a half by a half by one inch, that's 38 by 13 by 25 millimeters, and it's light. It's only one ounce, that's 28 grams. And so it fits in your camera bag really easily. Now, I've been using it for a while now, and it's really easy to put it on and to take it off when you're done. There's a nice touch in the Luxie app also that detects when the Luxie is attached to your iPhone, which is really cool. It just switches over, changes the mode of the app to the uh, to the light detecting uh, portion, starts reading out numbers. Very cool. Anyway, I suggested before that it's not as expensive as the most as most standalone meters. Well, it's only twenty nine ninety five. And if you'd like to check one out, just head over to esdevices.com slash pragmatic to learn more and visit the coup- and enter the coupon code TECHDISTORTION for 15% off your Luxie for All. Photographers always want to take better pictures and taking better pictures starts with your Luxie. Thank you to Extrasensory Devices for sponsoring Pragmatic, which is uh, slightly matter since I was just talking about having sponsors and so on. But there you go. Uh, so, all right. Um, how old were you when you first um, got behind, uh, got into a pilot seat and started flying? Uh, let's see. That would have been 22. Yeah, 22. Right out of college. Wow. Wow. Yep. Cool. The way, uh, I, I got lucky. I, I had some friends. It, it ebbs and flows how quickly you get into pilot training once you're in the military. I got my commission right out of, uh, right out of college uh, through ROTC, and then I got sent to pilot training pretty much right away. You do, uh, you do six weeks of ground school. And then, uh, and then you get sent to start uh, what's called primary, which is uh, was in my time flying the T thirty four, which is a cool little, cool little turboprop version of the uh, of the Bonanza. Okay, um, I- I'm not a plane guy. It's got wings and it flies. I'm sorry to That's disappoint. It's pretty much all you need <laughs> to know. So yeah, it was uh, it was fun. <laughs> yeah, it was you know propeller on the front. The challenge, um, the challenge of that. And getting started in that was that uh, it was a very hands-on airplane because uh, it's been replaced now by a, a much newer airplane called the T6. Um, 
but the T thirty four was was didn't have anything automatic. It was all you know all all, all dials and gauges. And uh, the biggest challenge for for uh, a young aviator like me was that you had to always trim. So as soon anytime you changed power or anything like that, the airplane would want to go off on just some weird wild tangent. So you were always trying to 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 move these wheels called trim trim wheels, which kind of tweak. The control surfaces, so you're not constantly holding the stick and putting a lot of pressure on it. But of course, you have to change, you know, change power all the time, and uh, and so that it it was kind of like uh, it's kind of like balancing on top of a bowling ball a little bit. You were always always moving, always doing something, and always trying to fight it. And uh, yeah, in the South Texas sun, uh, it, it it was very tiring and very sweaty, especially under about thirty pounds of flight gear. So it's good. Wow cool <laughs> it started but that was actually a really good time for me to realize wow flying is a lot of hard work and yeah. what was even worse was when i had an instructor in the back seat yelling at me and telling me that i was doing a terrible job of it it's like wow that's not fun being told you know hey you know this is you you messed this up really bad and they were you know very frank because they had to be but what was yeah. worst was that um that you always knew that if you didn't perform up to a certain level you're done. And, and yeah. so that was, that was the hardest. I, I, I'm trying to think, I can't think of any single time when the number one thing going through my brain was, wow, I could really die here. Most of the time it is, wow, I'm going to look really dumb here or they're <laughs> never going to let me do this again. And those were much more powerful motivators for me and my peers. Um, because we'd all dreamed of this our entire lives. And so that was that was a that was a big challenge from a from a perspective of this is a passion project I got here. They're paying me yeah. to do this, but I, I definitely can say I did not do any of it for the money. Um, yeah. And 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 at every moment, you're pretty much like, what am I going to do to really mess this up and never be able to do it again? And I had friends who through uh, some, you know, sometimes through through just inability, sometimes through inattention and sometimes through almost no effort at all were asked to never do it again. And that was really scary. <laughs> wow. So um, yeah. now you said you haven't, um, you said 2010 was when you, um, uh, when you went away from doing that um, predominantly, I believe. Yeah, I'm sorry, I've, I forgot yeah. the terminology you used. That's an active duty, basically. That, was, when, that was the time when it, it stopped being my full-time job and went to basically part-time job. So right. I was flying in the reserves for a few years where it was kind of part-time, but you know, flying, flying in the Navy is not really ever a part-time thing. So it's right. most of the guys who do really successfully in the reserves have, have jobs on the outside that allow them to do maybe half to three quarters of their time flying in the reserves. And that was something I didn't have, unfortunately. So after a few years of doing that, I, I set that aside as well. Cause I, I just, there were other things I needed to do. Okay. So you've been out of it for about uh, two, three years now. Is that, was that a rough It's been about a year and a half now since I left. Just a year and a half. Okay. It's probably too soon to ask this question, but I want to ask it because I, you know, it's part of the topic. And that is that, do you foresee a time in future when um, you would go back to flying just purely as a hobby thing where there's, you know, just out of your own interest, just to rekindle some of that? I do. Uh, it's been it's been interesting stepping away from it because it's kind of given me the perspective to look at the parts that I really enjoyed and appreciated, and the parts that I could take or leave. So, um, so for me, I, I was you know I was lucky enough to fly the Tomcat in, which which was a really fast airplane with a lot of power. So, so it's not like after I get out, I'm ever going to fly really fast or really high again in a way that's that's like 
you know, it's like setting any personal records and the record, the record setting part, you know, whether personal or, or otherwise was never a real, that was never a real draw for me. So th- I was never flying for the thrill because boy, uh, I had enough, I had enough, like I'm a naturally fairly anxious person. So like for me, I was already beyond my thrill point as soon as I really, as soon as I stepped to the airplane, the first, actually before that, when I got into simulators and realized that my performance, every single bit of performance was being graded. It was, it was, it was basically, um, it was interesting because the, the, the thing that was different about flying for me from, from like a job perspective, different from anything I'd done before is I just come out of school and in school you find it's not what you can do. It's really what you know. Like what you can what you can do on a test, but I mean, you're sitting there with the test. Very very rarely are you in an oral exam in a school environment, except in some some special fields. Where for me, this was a huge change because it didn't matter how well I knew my stuff. It didn't matter that I could get 100 percent on every written exam they handed me, because that's just not a relevant metric in a job like aviation. Um, it's really a lot closer to being on a sports team. So now it's not whether or not you know everything about football. It's not whether you know everything about baseball or basketball. Um, it's about whether when you know all that kind of stuff, you can get out and in the heat of the moment perform. So uh, so that was that was just big because it's, it's kind of scary knowing that I've done everything I can to do this and I still might mess it up. Um, and so and so that 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 was that was stressful. Now, stepping out of it a few years later. I can see that there were parts of it that I really enjoyed that were not the most stressful parts of that. There, uh, it is beautiful flying. It is absolutely gorgeous. I've, you know, the things that you see from the air are amazing. So, so for me, civilian flying would have to provide access to those sorts of things that I really liked about it. Um, and so, one of the things I've considered doing is soaring. I'd really like to yes. uh, to possibly get into that because for me, it has it has to have a little bit of challenge too. Which which soaring is is definitely got more more than enough challenge there, um, and uh, and and to be something that's a little bit more peaceful, if that makes any sense. Not from necessarily the military side of peaceful, but really something where I have some time to think, because boy, things happen fast in a jet. <laughs> yeah, well, you've got a uh, a big you know, jet engine there, sort of shooting you along rather quickly. So um, the thing is, uh, to make sure that I'm understanding correctly, when you say soaring, you're talking about um, gliders, but riding thermals and trying to stay in the air as long that's as possible. Right. Is that what you? Yeah. Yeah, cool. that's that's it. That's right. I, I'm lucky enough that where I live is near one of the greatest places in the Western U.S. to do that. So, uh, so oh, okay. I think I'm giving that a yeah. shot here uh, before too long. You know, the big challenge with civilian flying for and for a lot of people. Uh, they run into this is boy, it's expensive. You got to pay yes, a lot of money to be is. a private pilot. Uh, it's like having a yep. horse times ten because you got to pay for mm. upkeep. You got to you got to feed feed the airplane. You have to house it. You have to care for mm. it. Brush it. Brush its coat. Change its shoes. Um, <laughs> so yeah, well, all that was taken a, care of by the, the the navy. Took care of all that for you previously, right? So you just they're just absolutely. like here, um, hop in the tomcat, and you're like, oh yeah, all right. <laughs> oh yeah, it's the best. You have the best maintenance in the world, and you know that oh, yeah. when you walk up to that airplane, they've taken care of it. And that, see, this gets into I think uh, this gets us back to a little bit to the hobby part because for me, yes. I was very greatly spoiled while I was flying. I've had friends who have flown in the civilian world, and um, and and are like, hey, you know, we should go, we should go flying. And I've watched what civilian flying entails, and it entails a whole lot of maintenance work. It entails a oh, whole yeah. lot of taking care of your airplane. Um, Boy, I'm not good at that stuff. I, I this is one thing that I've kind of learned about me is that I'm not a, I'm not actually a details person. 
okay. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm more of a, I'm more of a visual guy, which is how I think I stumbled into design. But like details, when they really mm-hmm. matter, stress me out. Which I could do it. I did it in the military, but I didn't have to do maintenance. And so that's that would be my fear going back to the civilian world. Is I'm not sure that I, I'm not sure that I'm detail oriented enough to take care of my own airplane. I have a hard enough time with a dog. <laughs> oh, sorry. Fair enough. Well, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I've always uh, been interested in flying, but it always struck me as being way too dangerous. So me being risk adverse. Well, I, mm, I think uh, there were a couple of incidents uh, during my uh, teenage years that made me more risk adverse, but that's okay. It's a long story. So um, cool. Well, thank you for talking about that because I, I was uh, always a bit curious about that. And it, it, it is related to the, to the topic. And I guess one of the things that's, that's interesting is the, the blend between the, the, movement between because we start out talking about okay here's a hobby that turns into a job and now we're looking at okay well what if we did a job that we enjoyed that turns more into a hobby and the different trade-offs there and and everything I think a lot of this comes back to uh, why we do the things we do and understanding that is is absolutely critical because if you don't understand why you're doing something when you start introducing these other other elements things that you know like if if you're running a podcast you take on sponsors or if you're you're helping out at the at the swimming club and you know and and you you volunteer to be um you know the the president or the treasurer or something like that and you're like okay well i want to contribute i want to help direct i want to help make this a better a better thing and then that's going to completely change the complexion of uh that activity as a hobby and i think a lot of people underestimate just how much it can change it yeah i think you're right Okay, so before we go any further, I just want to talk about our second sponsor, and that is Hover. Now, Hover is a domain registrar that stands apart from the rest. Owning and controlling your own domain is critical if you're developing an app, writing a blog, running a business, a project, wanting to keep the same email address for life, for example, or if you have any presence at all on the web, as a domain is the single best way for other people to find you, and the best way to buy and manage domain names is with Hover. If you don't currently have a domain name, Hover can help you find the perfect one just for you. Hover supports a huge list of TLDs and their domain search is truly amazing. You type in your best idea and it tells you not only whether that domain is available, but then suggests dozens of close matches that might be just as good or even better than your original suggestion. Sometimes people sign up for different hosting services that offer a free domain name as part of their deal. But if you read the fine print, sometimes you'll find they'll often charge a a lot of money to transfer that domain out if you ever want to leave and then sometimes you could even lose it. Keeping control of your domain using a service like Hover puts you in control and in as little as five minutes, you can be up and running with a new domain. Hover's tools are so easy to use and follow. Most people won't need any help getting set up, but if you do, their support team is always available to help you out. They're famous for their no wait, no hold, no transfer phone service, no kidding. A real living human being will help you if you need help. However, don't the, Hover the thing, don't try to upsell you on every little thing detail like things like who is privacy that's the one that you know we they mention all the time it's like why is that even an option everyone should have that it's just included there's no flashy ads there's no pushy bs in short it's actually pleasant to use which you know for a domain registration in my experience has, has been a rare thing so i know that's all wonderful and everything but hover also offer bulk discounts for tens of domains and uh, for 10 domains and up and more the more domains you have with hover the cheaper it gets for each which is a bonus so they also have a reliable email service and you can get a terabyte of storage space if you want it. Hover also offer email forwarding for just $5 a year. 
Finally, the thing that I think brings so many people with existing domains to Hover is their valet transfer service, and it's free. Point Hover in the right direction with your existing domain and registrar information, and they'll take care of everything. You don't have to worry about messing it up. They do it all the time. And since they do it all the time, they're gonna, it's going to go much more smoothly with them doing it than if you do it yourself, let's say once every two, two or three years. So that's why I moved my domains there years ago. And that's why they're still at Hover and that's where they're going to be staying. So check out Hover at hover.com slash pragmatic to find out just how easy it is to grab your own domain or transfer your existing domain to Hover using the coupon code ABSOLUTELY to get 10% off your first purchase. Let Hover valet your domain stress away today. Thank you so much to Hover for sponsoring Pragmatic. Okay, so I think we're sort of on the on the uh, the downward slide here. Uh, I would like to um, recap a little bit about um, about motivation and and the pressures that you get. And I guess this is uh, one of the other things is uh, family, friends, peers, and even strangers will will love to tell you what they think you should do or what you should be doing. And that also plays a big part in whether or not you should keep going with, with hobbies and so on. And right. yeah, from the family side of things, it's like, okay, well, this hobby is taking time away from family time. So if you have a family, especially if you have kids as well, then there's a lot of pressure to spend more time with them. And I've heard, I've heard it all from different people, not just my own experience, but you know, it's like, uh, some people say my family is my hobby um, and I think that in terms of having a hobby and I guess this is one of the, th- one of the other, other problems is the definition of just why do we have hobbies and I guess we, I think we do, most people have a hobby because uh, we need an outlet that's not the thing that drives us to draw, to, to draw the income to sustain our existence and, and to sustain our family if we have one, you know, we need something to do that is not, we punch in, we ha- we do a job, we get a paycheck, we punch out again. We need something as a as an outlet, if you will. Either, either cre- it's usually a creative outlet, I guess. Right. Something we can't right. do in our, yeah, in our job. And the, the problem becomes if you do have a family then that you need to balance that against your family because there's certain parts of creativity that you can't express because family, because the problem I have with the statement, fam- my family is my hobby is that, well, that's okay up to a point, but remember, remembering, of course, that that having a family is a, is is very different from just having a hobby because um, you know families aren't all just playtime. They're also getting the kids ready for school, you know, making lunches, you know, well, cooking meals, cleaning up after them. Yeah, you know, most of those things, I think, for most people, are not the definition of a hobby unless making sandwiches is a hobby. And I guess that's probably someone's hobby. I don't know, but. Um, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I think I that, hop, yeah. <laughs> so I guess the problem I've got is that you look at you look at the family time aspect and it's very, very important to me. So I don't want to neglect that. And if a hobby starts to encroach too much on that time, then that creates a limitation and you have to be aware of that time limitation and not, not overstep that. What do you reckon? Well, and I think, I think you've hit, I think you've hit on a really important point. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Hobbies, by their very nature, are extremely selfish from a family yes. perspective. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do them because we all have to take care of ourselves and we all have to take care of our, our you know, our kind of our kind of mental energy. And for for me, at least, hobbies are a mental re- recharge. So so they're very necessary. 
But anytime I'm doing hobby stuff by necessity, let's set aside the family as a hobby because the family is, I think, the hobby that we all should have, but maybe don't enjoy quite as much as we would like. Um, I love yeah. my family and I love spending time with them, but but mm-hmm. but family as a hobby is as we've we've noted. It, there's a lot of work in there, much like mm. you know, for like like editing a show or anything like that. That's the work side of it, or or maintaining your own airplane. You're doing that. You're doing some a lot of parts of those to get the rewards of the playtime and the the great relationships that we have. But but boy, I have and and this is this has played into to like my relationship personally with 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 hobbies a lot is that I have spent a lot of my life. I didn't I didn't get married until I got out of the navy and uh, we had a son almost right after and um and so I spent a lot of my life basically not having to be accountable to anyone but me. And my job slash hobby, as it was, the Navy, in the sense that that came first. And it was easy that that came first because, you know, that that was it was it was very easy for me to say, no, nah, I've got to do this because Navy, you know, the, 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 the Navy is the justification. Um, since then, we've kind of I, I've 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 I kind of had my cool I kind of had my cool career. My wife's a physician and was just getting started when I got out of active duty. And so I, I made a very conscious decision at that point, like, Hey, this is her hobby life pursuit. It's time to prioritize that, which meant that as soon as we had, uh, as soon as we had a son, well now every time that I spend on hobby stuff, it's, it's gotta be kind of a conscious time taking away from those other things. And that's, that's a tough transaction to make after a while, especially if you have lots of hobbies. Yeah, well, that's the other thing is uh, is that we we haven't talked about the the lots of hobbies and the lots of activities and the motivation behind that. I I, feel, I have a feeling that people that have lots of hobbies, uh, I'm I'm not entirely convinced that they're they're focused enough to appreciate which one of them because it's a limited time in in the day. You've got 24 hours in the day, so ultimately you have to choose how to split that and and between work that earns you money, uh, family life if you have a family. Um, and of course, you know, friends, presumably as well. And then you've got a, a slice left for hobbies. So the more hobbies you have, the more thinly stretched you are, the less you can get into any one of them. And I just, I reached that point where when I went, when I did podcasting, I went all in, you know, I, I've spent practically every spare moment of my time that I've had in the last year and a half approaching two years. Uh, I've stopped like toward on the podcast and on prep for podcast, work on the website, supporting the podcast, editing, you know, you name it. It had something to do with the show. I've had very little other time that I have spent on anything else. So I got to the point where I've, I've, I bet I barely read, uh, tech websites anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm listening to less and less podcasts because I'm doing all this other prep work. Yeah. And I, if I'm listening to a podcast, I can't concentrate on writing show notes. So, because I want to listen to the podcast, uh, you know, I don't read the newspaper as much either, and it's just I feel like I've become disconnected. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. It's that sort of disconnection because I experienced exactly the same thing. Um, yeah, not all of us can be as because I, I asked Gabe how he did this as soon as I got into TD. I was like, "How do you keep doing this? How do you stay on top of all of these all of these blogs?" Um, and all of these shows and continue to write about them all and do this podcast because as soon as I started, I felt that disconnection because the time that I had been spending being a member of the community, I was spending building this, building the show, yes. building all that. And I was like, how did you do it? 
Um, and I, I don't know. I don't know if he ever sleeps. The only time I was able to find him, by the way, was sacrificing sleep. And while that seems at the beginning, like I, I get, I'd get up really early. And while that seems like a great, um, that seems like a, a pretty good compromise because on the surface you're like, hey, I, I can sacrifice sleep. I can get by on a little bit less. It, it has a deep long-term effect on mood, which affects everything oh, else yeah. you do. Yeah, oh, I don't know. I, it's it's fascinating that you felt that same sort of disconnection because I it it all of a sudden remember how I said you know I I couldn't I couldn't play flight simulators anymore when I was flying. Well, when I started when I when I started when I started doing a podcast, it became a real it 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 started to feel like work listening to all the podcasts I loved. It, yeah, it like almost yeah. took it took some of the magic away. Not because they were any worse, but because I felt like like because it it kind of took something out of me. I don't know. I don't know why. It's been sad. I will say that it's been great listening to podcasts again now that I've I've stopped actually making them. Yeah, it's 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 strange how that works. It's I, I look at it as it's a it's more it's it's partly like you say um, when you're doing the you, if you're observing, you're not a participant. You know, you're so I okay. I mean, you listen to another podcast, you you tweet at them and say, "Hey, great show." Uh, you know, some correction about this point or whatever else or, you know, um, you know, whatever, then that's a form of interaction, I guess. But still, you're more or less on the sidelines. You're not a con- you're not creating content directly. You're sort of, you know, you're more of a participant. You're an observer. And, right. you know, the trend, and as soon as you move from being a, an observer to being an active uh, contributor, as in I'm actively now going to create this thing, I'm actually going to participate in this, this is going to become my job or a predominant part of my life, Suddenly, you're not so much of a person that sits on the sidelines anymore because you don't have time and you're already doing it. So why would you then go and and spend hours of your day then listening to other people doing what you're already doing? And it's and that that sort of a transition. But the the, the thing that's interesting though, and I guess the the point is that uh, that's how I I know how much you love flying is because when you're not flying, you're simulating flying. <laughs> so that's how much you love it. <laughs> Which is which yeah. is brilliant, which is great. And, so you and found that and you found that. I did, and and when I when I when I stopped recording, I found that listening to podcasts became much more enjoyable. And it really wasn't for me. It wasn't like, oh, you know, uh, now I have to do more podcast stuff. For me, the listening to podcast challenge was when I was listening. It was kind of like a reminder: Hey, don't you need to edit that episode? Don't you need to? Uh, shouldn't you be working on show notes right now? Because. You know, um, and I, I unfortunately had for a long time had a very, very short commute um, like feet to my home mm. office because I was working at home for a while. Uh, and so I had I had even lost the time that I was spending on podcasts uh, to listen where mm. it was like, hey, I, I have to be in a car. I have to be driving. So um, so that impacted it, too. And yeah, that's it. It's, it's amazing how it's amazing how quickly, though, you get the magic back once you set it aside. Um it makes me. It makes me want to do more. It makes me want to do more podcasts. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, but then, but then you're not going to be listening to as many. So then you'll be sad. It's, it's uh, you can't. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? But I think that that's a, that's a good point. I think for us to sort of wrap this up because uh, the problem is on this topic is it's very difficult to draw a specific conclusion or even a subset of conclusions. And you you, you mentioned this when when we started. It's more of a food for thought thing. And that is that if there's something that you really enjoy, uh, then doing it and becoming an active contributor in whatever that we've, we focused on podcasts because you and I have done that. You know, the parallels with um, with flying, though, are, are very, very, very interesting and 
honestly very much aligned with the topic. But the, the truth is that you found something and if you find something that you enjoy listening to, you enjoy participating in and then you enjoy creating yourself or, or, or doing yourself as a much larger component of your time, then it, it necessarily means that you do less of that as a casual activity like um, like I was saying, like listening to podcasts and I'm now creating them so I listen to them less. And when I stop creating podcasts for a while and I take a break at the end of this show, I, I expect I'll start listening to more podcasts again. And that's okay. Same for you with flying. And I think that that's something to just to be aware of. I don't think it's a, a good yeah. or a bad thing. It's just, that's just be aware of it, right? It happens. It is. I, you know, to borrow a phrase from uh, my very talented friend, um, Potato Wire, who, uh, who, who, who kind of came up with this and, and I'm going to steal it from him. He, he would talk about seasons of obsession where yes. everybody goes through these cycles of being, you know, passionate about making, uh, and then, you know, so, so you got this bright spring and summer of creation followed by maybe a fall and winter where you need to step back and observe. And then, That's it. you know, just like the seasons, it comes back. And so I, maybe our biggest challenge is just not to fight those seasons and just kind of ride them out. Yeah. Roll with it. Roll with the seasons. I like that. Cool. Um, fantastic. So uh, if you would like to talk more about this, you can reach me on uh, Twitter at uh, John Chigi and uh, my site, techdistortion.com, where the podcast is hosted, along with my writing and other stuff that I've done. Uh, if you'd like to send any feedback, please use the feedback form on the website. That's where you'll also find show notes for this episode under Podcasts uh, Pragmatic. You can follow Pragmatic Show on Twitter to see show announcements and other related stuff. Uh, I'd also like to thank my uh, guest host, uh, Eric Hess, uh, for coming on the show. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you, mate? Thanks, John. Probably on Twitter. I'm uh, the mindful bit. Cool. Fantastic. Excellent. All right. I'd also like to thank our two sponsors for this episode. Uh, firstly, Extrasensory Devices and their Luxie for All uh, for sponsoring the show. The Luxie for All is a compact and lightweight instant light meter attachment for your smartphone or tablet. Visit esdevices.com pragmatic for more information about their handy Luxie for All <clears throat> and use the coupon code TECHDISTORTION for 15% off exclusively for pragmatic listeners. Taking better pictures starts with your Luxie. I'd also like to thank Hover for sponsoring this episode. Hover is a domain registrar that is simple and easy to use with a valet service for your existing domain transfers, making it simply the best way to buy and keep full control of your domain names. Check out Hover at hover.com pragmatic to find out just how easy it is and use the coupon code ABSOLUTELY to get 10% off your first purchase. Let hover valet your domain stress away today. And uh, and that's it. So, as always, thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, thanks again, Eric. Thank you, John. It's been an honor.